piece, y'all. Quick update. Um, NASA and I went through some pretty massive technical difficulties going through this. There was internet connectivity issues. My mic fucked up. So, like, about a quarter of the way through, you're going to notice a lot of interruptions. Uh, it shouldn't be too bad, but, like, thank y'all for understanding. Love you. Mwah. What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guest this week is New York rapper, producer, engineer, and label head on Common NASA. We spoke about Crime Scene Kitchen, Pinocchio, Basquiat, The Twilight Zone, several Stephen King film adaptations, the pros and cons of adapting books to film, his career in New York raps underground and within the definitive Jux orbit, the history of his label Uncommon Records, and the process behind his latest album, Only Child, produced entirely by Messiah Music. Come fuck with us. COVID, COVID, like, low-key, this shit traumatized all of us. Like, this is all just, like, a collective trauma that, like, we all experienced at the same time, and we're all going to come out different from it. <laughs> and, like, this is just, like, this is just kind of reminding me of that for some reason. Not to not to start this off on something too morbid, but, like... <laughs> it's, it's fitting. I mean, look at who your guest is. So, you know, oh, like, it's, it's fitting to, to start with morbid topic trees. So. <laughs> it's all good. But, well... Well, what's up? What's cracking? Welcome back to number. I don't know what number this is because we're actually recording it pretty early. So I didn't do the, I didn't do the math. I didn't do the math in advance. So like I have a tendency to forget my episode numbers, but this one's just going to be episode whatever the number is when it drops because this is dropping in like early to mid August. <laughs> um, so um, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here with whatever number episode this is. Uh, welcome back to Real Notes. I forgot to fucking say the name. I'm a fucking asshole. Uh, my name is Dylan Cinema Sci. I got a lot of names, two of them right there. Um, you know, as you know, as I always say, we every guest on this show is incredibly special. And this guy I got with me right here is somebody who's uh, he's been making moves for a, a very, very long minute. This guy is a rapper and a producer and he's an engineer. He's a label head. He's a creative. He's telling me about the fact that he just started painting, which I'm hoping <laughs> we can get more into later. Like he's just like he's he's seen so many. He's seen so many sides of this like rap shit that i can't even think to list them all here and I hopefully we'll be able to hit like half of them um we got uncommon nasa in the place to be the head of uncommon records and just you know mr M mr man of mischief over here what's going well, up man thank you thank <laughs> you for having me i'm glad to be here man that's that's oh. a that's a very healthy intro i like that oh, thank you that's beautiful Appreciate yeah that. Thank you. Thank you for coming on my shit. I appreciate that. Like, I, I, uh, I don't I don't I don't take anybody who gives me their time for granted on here. So I appreciate Word. you even taking the time. Word up, man. So let me ask you the first question I ask everybody who comes on this show. Uh, what's the last movie or TV show that you watched that you enjoyed? Hmm. Um, the last I'm trying to think of, like, you know, something that's not like nonsense i mean it could be <laughs> nonsense if you want tv it show like whatever <laughs> man 
I'm sure that you don't want to hear me talk about my analysis of crime scene kitchens and whether it is valuable for for entertainment. Um, the last, you know what, real, real talk to the, the last TV show episode that I watched, um, it's ongoing now that I, I think is it's just like such an awesome show. It's a show called Mr. Inbetween. Um, I love I Mr. Inbetween. It's on hmm. uh, FX. It's, uh, it's actually an Australian-based show, um, but it's been on FX for three seasons now. And uh, the first season has started, well, the premise of the show is this guy, he's a hitman, uh, slash just criminal for hire. And he's also like, that's like his secret life, but he's also like raising like a young daughter at the same time. So the the creativity of the show is like, there's like all these like really touching comedic moments with his daughter. And then like the next scene is like this action scene where he's just shooting somebody in the face. And so like, it's, it's a really cool show. It's, it's, it's not American. So it's not like, like cheesy and shoved in there the way like a, a show like I just described can be sometimes. Um, so it's really dope. The first season started as like sort of like vignettes along those lines, like 15 minute little things. And then the second second season, it became more of a, of a story arc. And now the third season, they're continuing that. It's, it's really dope. That, that would be the last thing that I, that I would co-sign. <laughs> that I've seen. You know? That that sounds cool. I've never heard of that before. I'm not gonna lie. And I'm usually I like to think I'm pretty tapped into what's going on at FX because they got they, they they always have really cool shit. But like yeah. I love I love I love stuff like that. That's really into. I love that kind of contrast. Just like just mm-hmm. like something that's something that's like I I don't know if you'd call it wholesome, but like something that's kind of mm-hmm. just like family oriented, and then just like smashing into smashing into something that's completely not that like even even the you know the the family part of it is is like i said it's not like americanized like smash into a package like it's not that comedic like there are like heartwarming parts and there are like depressing parts that don't have anything to do with the crime part of the show there's like relationship stuff and coming coming of age stuff for the daughter and it's it's pretty crazy like it's what they pull off um juxtaposition wise is, is pretty incredible to me. It's it's definitely something to watch from the beginning. And uh, the best thing about the show, as I suggested to people, it's half hour show. So like mm-hmm. you could just binge the hell out of it. It's on Hulu. Like, so it's, it, you could just blast through like a whole season in probably like three hours. So, you know, that's so dope. I love, I love sh- like, I really like short shows and there and there are even like a handful that I've been watching lately that are like 10, 11 minutes. So you can like binge an mm. entire season and like the, about the amount of time it would take to watch a movie, like a hundred, yeah. like, like an hour and 40 minutes. Like there's this really dope animated show on Cartoon Network or I, or I guess uh, HBO Max technically, but it's called Infinity Train. And each hmm. season is like each season is 10 episodes and they're all 10 minutes long. And it's about this big I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's this big train that like every train car is its own little world. And ah, people get cool. people get people get brought on because they have some sort of like trauma or life issue they got to sort out i whenever i tell people about it i call it like a it's like a child-friendly version of saw like it's, it sounds almost like a cartoon version of snowpiercer that kind yeah, of thing you know it's also definitely on that type of time too yeah yeah right it's yeah it's definitely like a combination it's 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 like a child-friendly combination of saw and snowpiercer that's basically it and uh <laughs> it's dope I, I i i think they just did the 
yeah, there were four seasons. The last, the, the fourth and final season aired, I think back in like May or April. No, April, April, because it came out on my dad's birthday. But uh, yeah, it's dope. And that's really cool too. I like, uh, I just like it. I just like it when showrunners and people um, can respect an audience's time and not have to make them sit down for an hour and a half every time they want to watch an episode of a show. Like not everything needs to be a movie. Like, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, so for you, NASA, like, what's the first movie experience you can remember having, whether that was at the theater or if it was like at your cousin's house or like wherever? Like, what was your first, what's the first movie experience you can remember having? Man, the first, if I go all the way back, the first movie experience I remember having is I'm, um, you know, I'm a child of the 80s. So during the 80s, um, they brought Pinocchio back to the theater. Mm. And the first time I ever saw Pinocchio was in a theater. I forgot which little friend I went with. My mom brought us. And I just remember the scene. Um, I don't know if you've seen Pinocchio or I haven't seen oh, it in like oh, 35 years. But um <laughs> There's a scene. There's a scene right where he gets turned into a wolf or some shit. It's a donkey. What, he gets what's turned the, into a what's the horrifying scene? Donkey gets turned into a donkey. Yeah. And that shit fucked me up for a while, man. Like I saw that when I was six, and like that shit fucked me up. And that that's probably my earliest movie memory. Um, you know, I mean, I could get into like my first favorite movies, you know, that I that I came up on, but like, you know, but in terms of like just the hazy, like you know, can barely function like first memory that's definitely one of them like i don't remember really much else i mean i remember the part where his nose grows and shit like everyone else but i don't remember much else about that movie besides it being yeah. transformed brutally into a donkey like you know <laughs> yeah i think i think uh because i because i haven't seen it i haven't seen it in like at least a decade and like that's the part i remember i remember Pinocchio <laughs> getting swallowed by the whale and mm-hmm. uh Maybe the first time the fairy godmother shows up, but like I haven't seen the movie in forever, and there have been like eighty different versions of Pinocchio too. Like that really, you ever see the really, um, the really terrible Italian one with the guy who won the Oscar for? Uh, um, I I remember seeing like posters and trailers for it. The the Italian guy that won the won the Oscar and he jumped up on the table and all that. Uh huh. Yeah, he yeah, went for yeah, um, yeah. Life is Beautiful. That was the movie. Right. 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 Yeah. That's such a sad movie. Wow, like it, it, it's it's ugh. it's it's a really great movie, and he has a really great performance in it. And then he followed that up immediately with that Pinocchio movie that everyone hated. Like it 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 basically ruined his career. Like Hollywood never, got to him, man. man. Hollywood got to him. He did not recover. <laughs> it was real, real bad. <laughs> Shout out to Roberto Bengini. That's his name. Shout out oh, to him. I hope he's doing shit. okay. Shout out to him. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, so yeah, talk to me. So yeah, talk to me about your, uh, like, what's the, like, what would you say is the first movie that made you fall in love with the art of filmmaking? Like, were you like really recognized like, oh shit, like this is art or like, this is something that resonates. Like, so there's two things I'll, I'll get into. I, I, I'll, I, you know, cause I have one movie that I wanted to talk about in particular that like was the first movie and probably one of the only movies that truly, impacted me and influenced me um and then there's another movie where i can i can talk about more about like 
starting to notice the art of filmmaking. That's a little more of an obvious one that everyone knows. Ooh. And even the first one is too. But, you know, to get, get into the question, like, um, I can remember watching uh, Basquiat when I was 17. And when Basquiat first came out, that's the, uh, the Jeffrey Wright acted one. Right. Um, Julian Schnabel uh, directed it. And the cast is amazing. It's like Willem Dafoe, Christopher Walken, Gary Oldman, David Bowie, Dennis Hopper, uh, Courtney Love, Jeffrey Wright, as I said. I'm trying to think of all the different people that were in that movie. Benicio Del Toro. That movie was star-studded, like, for sure. Um, um, William, um, let's go with the raspy voice. Um, oh man, uh, I I can't. I just remember. Uh, Win- Michael Winslet, I think is his name. He was amazing in it too. Um, all that being said, man, like you know, I was a kid that was really into music. That was probably sort of already on a path to to getting into engineering. Um, you know, before high school ended, I had already made up my mind that I was going to go to recording school at this place called Institute of Audio Research. I wasn't going to be going to college. It didn't make any sense financially or grade wise for me to do that. Mm -hmm. So I went to IR and, um, but, but before I went there, I had already decided that, um, it was obvious that my path was in music and in art, but I didn't know how to like, I seemingly didn't know how to carry myself yet, you know, as like an artist, you know, like I didn't understand, the freedom that you got when you were an artist yet because I was so young and used to school and structure and you know blah 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 rules and when I watched Basquiat you know I was young enough that I wasn't cynical about film and I had no idea who Basquiat was and to be honest most of the mainstream world didn't know who Basquiat was for another 10 or 15 years even after that movie was made that movie was the beginning you know obviously outside of his real life you know downtown 81 like those kinds of documentaries but like in terms of him being a pop culture figure that movie the julian schnappel movie was the beginning it was it was the tip of the iceberg of him becoming sort of the icon that he is today the the posthumous the posthumous icon that he is today i know obviously when he was alive he was celebrated it in art circles you know what i'm saying right yeah Um, yeah, yeah. you know the, the same way like a lot of those other early 80s figures were but in terms of him becoming like the guy whose logo is on a pair of sneakers and on a hoodie or, or whatever, like that started with this movie, with the Julian Schnabel movie. Yeah. And on and, and, and on a Makami album cover too, because the now, yeah. Haiti cover, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's, he, he, you know, I did, um, you know, I've sampled that movie plenty of times, you know, they, they, they can't sue me enough times at this point. Um, <laughs> I know every almost every line to that movie. I mean, it's it's amazing. And so, watching the way that Jeffrey Wright, who by the way that was his first role, I think maybe in anything, but certainly as a lead, um, and to me, it's still his best work. I mean, how how amazing is it that a guy that accomplished, at least in my opinion, like could hit it so hard? I mean, he is Basquiat in that movie. You know, right. like, because I've seen, you know, since, and, and again, at the time, I didn't really know who Basquiat was. I probably heard the name, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old uh, in 1995, Six, I think. you know, so, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, so, so like, how much do I know about Basquiat at that point? And so, 
you know, I hadn't seen him in real life and I've since obviously seen him in plenty of real life interviews and documentaries and stuff. And like, he just nails them so perfectly and put in such a great effort. And everyone in that movie did because, you know, I've come to find actually the guy, that's the reason why we're talking, me and my friend were talking about Michael Winslet recently. I think I'm saying that guy's name right. Um, his character just passed away. Um, I don't know if I know his, his name in real life, but the guy who basically discovered Basquiat and, you know, put him in, um, you know, some of his first shows that blew him up in the New York area, he just passed away. So we're losing like all these legendary people, you know, from that time period, which is unfortunate. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that like, you know, at a certain age, you stop being told about history and you start to be existing with history. So yeah, people will die around you that are famous, that are important to you. So that's just the way it is. But that film, man, just watching him, um, watching him, the way that he carried himself, the way that he talked to people, the way that he dressed, everything was an immediate influence on me. And I had never seen a movie like that. I didn't take movies seriously until I saw that movie. I will say that. Like, I liked movies as much as anybody, you know? And I liked artsy movies. I, li I grew up watching a lot of B-movies. Like, I grew up in the in the blockbuster, even the pre-blockbuster era, where, like, you know, as a teenager, as a preteen, you're going to go to the store and rent a stack of, like, VHS uh, B-movies, you know? Like, fucking spookies and bad tastes and... <laughs> I can go on and on um, with really shitty movies that I grew up watching. But, you know, then you get to a certain point in, in time where you, you watch it, you see a movie like Basquiat at a young age like I did. It, it gave me this grounding that I think I still have today that a lot of people don't get of understanding the plight of artists and identifying artists as people instead of as like these talented machines. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people equate artists, and I'm speaking of any kind of art form, whether it's a musician or a painter or whatever, um, they sort of equate artists with athletes. And and athletes are people too, don't get me wrong, but like there's a physical thing that happens with an athlete that, you know, an artist, it's, it's almost always all mental. And you can't measure that. And, and this movie kind of broke me out of that cycle of like thinking that people are born, you know, talented or natural, you know, I, I had a big thing when I was a kid, I guess, where I thought that like, if you were talented, it was because you were born talented, you know, mm -hmm. that I didn't have a concept of, of actually growing your talent and, and learning as you go. I, I, I believed into like the sucker version of, of the arts, which is like, if you're not a child prodigy, you're probably fucked. And like, you know, and, and I, I don't know, man, Basquiat was a big part of me, like identifying myself as an artist, even though I wasn't where I was going to go. You know what I mean? Like talent wise yet, you know, at that age, um, I knew that that's where I wanted to be, even though I was in a totally different form of art, um, being, you know, making music and, and I was writing at the time and doing all that kind of stuff, I, you know, really at that time like i didn't even know i just knew that i was creative but I, I don't really think i had a solid plan and that's why i got into engineering you know because i knew i wanted to be around it i knew i wanted to be involved in the music but i didn't quite i needed those years you know like 
from 18 yeah. to 21, 22 to, to figure it out. Like, well, where's my place as a creative, you know, and I needed to be around creatives to figure that out. And, and that was sort of how I ended up doing that. Wow. And it all started with this movie. That's pretty wild. All things. It, it, it did. I mean, obviously there are other things involved, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, but, but yes, this, this movie definitely opened my mind not just you know to, to to the fact that movies could be that powerful even like on the other side of the coin like you know to the f I, I like i said i didn't believe in movies so this movie kind of opened my mind to to movies being that impactful um you know and in terms of art you know i'll just talk briefly you know like another really influential movie that grew with me over time is you know this is something that everyone listening probably has seen but the shining is you know incredibly influential to me um i didn't you know it's it's one of those movies you can watch as a thriller and then you you go back and you start to realize the amount of detail that's into the framing of the shots the um the symmetrical nature of a lot of the shots the designs and you know when you when you read and, and watch more about kubrick and um the way that he made movies and as much as i respect kubrick i haven't seen nearly enough of his films but like scenes of people walking down the rules at a hotel that are fucking captivating as hell you know like i mean how much better of a movie can you get than that you know that's art you know yeah totally <laughs> and uh like like Kubrick has kind of earned a reputation as someone who was really an exacting director, like almost to a fault sometimes. Like he would like really put his actors and people through the ringer in a lot of instances. But I think, uh, I think like I have, I have, I really enjoy watching The Shining, and like I really enjoy watching The Shining, and I kind of sort of have. Actually, no, I'm just going to leave it at that. I really enjoy The Shining. I no, know. What do you, what do you, what do you, what, 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 you can say what you don't like about it. It's all good. Like, what, what, um, what is it? Uh, I don't really even know because it's weird. Like, I, I feel like it's, I feel like my opinion on this movie always changes because hmm. I talk to so many people who have so many different opinions about it and all of it just kind of like seeps into my brain because, like, hmm. I, because, like, I enjoy it. I think it's really well shot. I think it has some of the most iconic images in all of horror and pretty much all of like cinema in general. Um, but it took me watching Dr. Sleep, the new joint to really mm. like, I like, I haven't seen the shining in a long enough time that I need to go back and revisit it before I can say this a hundred percent confidently, but Dr. Sleep kind of grabbed me more than the original shining did. In a few I have ways. not I have not <laughs> seen Dr. Sleep yet. Um, I will say that I really and, and I'm I'm not a person that has actually read Stephen King's books, but I do appreciate Stephen King's work and his ability to create worlds um, with stories that sort of just I think Stephen King's ability, you know, even just watching the films alone to sort of create worlds that didn't exist before is, is kind of unprecedented at least at the mainstream level that he has reached and definitely at that point in his career too because right like, but yeah. but the thing about king lately 
is his hellbent nature of like remaking the films himself and being so heavily involved in the filmmaking process. It's just like, I mean, I, I will use this example. Like the original it is, is long because it was made for TV. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it was made for several nights. Um, that's the one grape I have with it, but the imagery and the acting and the casting and the look of that is incredible um and the new it is horrible it's just jump scare oh, bullshit <laughs> i really so, like, like the first one the second one isn't as good but i really like it part one i i, I didn't see the second one because the first one was so disappointing for me um it's it's a lot of jump scares and a lot of sort of knockoff stranger things stuff in there to me um you know but you know it's it's you know, I, I can't, you know, there, there, I have to give you, you know, your, your, your space because, you know, you're coming at it from a different point of view than I am. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think, you know, if I were to watch and I don't know our aged group and it's not totally relevant, but what I could say is, you know, as a, as a person that grew up in the eighties, you know, if you showed me something at a certain point in my life that was made in the 60s, the early 60s in particular, you know, which is only 20 years prior, you know, right, I I would have taken it differently, you know, so I, I do think that, you know, there, there is a certain point where like, unless you are really, this is just me speaking, I could be totally wrong, I'm trying to get in your head here. But if, if unless you're really interested in the age, style like the motif of you know what i mean and like have that point of reference it might it might not hit as hard as something of the same story because the story is great you know like the shining is a great story it's a great story but the way it's presented may hit you differently than it than it hits me it's not to say that the new it is bad it's just i you know like i'll give you an example of what i'm trying to say yeah 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 right so like tim curry's it in the 80s is horrifying right because he is first he's tim curry so he's fucking scary but second of all <laughs> he has actual makeup on and is actually dressed like a clown that in a different context in a different movie in a different town for a different reason would just be a clown and that's what made him so scary is because you know, you're getting these flash scenes of a guy that's just a clown with balloons, like in the middle of like a waterfall, like off in the distance or in a sewer, you know, or, or in these weird places. Whereas the new one, it was the face was so CGI'd. It looked great for CGI. Don't get me wrong. It looked awesome. If there was no other it, it'd be great the way it looked. But that made it less scary to me because I didn't feel like he was ever a real person. I always felt like the new it, he was a monster. Whereas in the other one, you, you could understand why these kids would be fooled by this, by this Tim Curry character, because he just looks like a clown. He just looks like a person. What, what could go wrong? Um, whereas the new one, he just looks horrifying <laughs> for the very first scene of the new it you're like holy shit <laughs> you know and and you know there's a there's a certain element to the new one where like even at seven years old the temptation in seeing something that looked like that would be run you know so so it, it breaks the it breaks the the authenticity to me obviously i'm over analyzing but 
the show is called Real Notes, so you know that's what we're doing. But you know, <laughs> like that's know. that's that's the whole yeah, exactly. So like that's you know that 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 would uh, I mean, that's the explanation I'm trying to come to with the with the age and time period thing. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. You know, um, I I I think um, I think you know, I know that Stephen King like really destroyed The Shining in the TV movie. I've seen pieces of it, but not the whole thing. Um, you know, Kubrick was a, a taskmaster. Um, there is a film. Um, I forgot the name of it, but there's a film. I think it might be called like the assistant or something or the laborer. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, a documentary. I think it's on Netflix or somewhere um, where like his right hand man, who was actually one of the stars in Barry Lyndon, another movie of his um, became like after he filmed Barry Lyndon, he became so obsessed with Kubrick that he gave up his job as an actor or his aspiration to continue to be an actor and became Kubrick's assistant. And he did everything for Kubrick, like everything, you know, setting the shots he worked on, on The Shining, he kept the kid like, you know, who had never acted before, as I'm sure you know, like right. in, you know, in line and, and focus and, and, you know, happy and up. And they, you know, from everything that I've seen interviews with that, child actor like as an adult he said like they never they never told me i was in a in a horror movie they always protected me and they kept me from knowing what was really going on which i find amazing yeah shout out but, to them <laughs> you know yeah exactly and so like I, I you know i have been around very passionate creative people i i am one myself um so in some ways, I, I identify with a person like Kubrick, who is just about getting it right, no matter what has to be sacrificed on the way there. Um, and I and I I I I respect that. You know, um, I haven't seen every Kubrick movie, but I think the thing that I respect the most about Kubrick in two of his movies is, you know, especially as a creator, the way I am with my albums. Um, you know, I've said before, like I see myself, like all my albums are, are, they come from my voice, but they are all about different things or different aspects of me. And I kind of see each album as me directing a new film, you know, so it's, it's going to look like my previous films, but it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to be something all onto itself. And when you compare uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and The Shining, they're completely different movies about completely different things. But the way that the music is laid out, the way that the shots are laid out, the way that the dialogue hangs in the air, all of it is exactly the same. The pacing is exactly the same. It comes from the same mind. And even in in, in filmmaking, especially today, um, to have a strong enough voice to do that as a director is, is not easy. Um, you know, producers direct these directors uh, more than the directors are directing the movie. And, you know, a lot of directors today don't write um so you know they're not able to go in there and improve the screenplay on set the way that somebody like kubrick probably did um you know and and there's a lot of difference between um the way films are made now and then yeah totally and before um before we move on i wanted to touch on a couple of the things you had to say about um about it and and also about the shining because uh I know I know one of the issues a lot of people I know have with The Shining is it's different, like the differences between the movie and the book, like they don't like they don't bother me that much. Yeah. yeah. But um, 
uh yeah yeah like a lot of people i know who have like serious like way more serious criticisms of of the shining than i do are always like it's like they kind of butchered the book and i get that because there are a lot of times when a movie is made and the source material that it comes from is usually better or at least different and people have kind of come to appreciate that more and if you tamper with it too much it it just you know kind of kind of like what you were saying with the cgi it kind of like it just it just like destroys people's image of like it just destroys their expectations and people aren't always looking to have their expectations subverted in that way they just kind of want the thing adapted and that's cool you know like i have no problem with that i I, let me let me volunteer this back so i mean the short answer is don't read the book like me uh just watch the movie and you won't have these (laughs) hang-ups the longer answer is you know Think about as a reader, you know, I don't know if you read the book or not, or if you're just going off other people that have. And it's been a long it's time. Right. That's a fine. Long, 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 so long. Now think about when you read The Shining, even if it was a long time ago. I mean, you're a fan of film, obviously. So am I. Like, how can you take all of those pages and represent everything in a film? A film is a different medium than a book. Totally. You know, when I when I write short stories or any kind of fiction that I write, you know, because I'm a fan of film and because I'm a fan of good writing for film. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I'm like, wow, this would work. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, this would be cool if somebody ever found this one day and made something of it, but I would never expect, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interpretation. Like a film is an interpretation of a, of a piece of writing. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll give you a really basic example. Um, you know, I grew up as a kid, extremely super fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. Comic, yeah, um, the original comic, cool. right? So I grew up in the '90s as a preteen. You know, that was at that point, and so I read the original. Well, not the original. The originals were in the '70s and the '60s, right. but I read the, the the third original version of the Guardians of the Galaxy in the '90s. Totally different team. Yondu was in those books. Totally different character. Yandu was like a spiritual, like sort of naturist, like like shaman kind of person in in the nineties. In the movies, he's like a ravager, pirate, hunter, like scallywag kind of person. Yeah. Totally different. Does that bother me? Not really, because it's a good fucking movie. Like, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. All those characters came in the most of the characters they use in the guardians of the galaxy movie like drax and gamora they existed in the 70s but in terms of the guardians level they came in in a 2000s series that uh andy uh andy lanning and and dan uh abnett wrote right the 90s one was written by a guy named jim valentino so obviously i have a big respect for the writers of the original material there's not going to be many other people that come on this show that are going to know who wrote the Guardians of the Galaxy comic books, and for good reason. That's why you're here, bro. All right, exactly. So, like, so, like, I respect the writing, and I love those books. At the end of the day, like to me, like a a book is a book, and a film is a film. You know, I just think they're two totally different mediums. And unless somebody is going in and like, I think if you start to cut away at the authenticity of the character. I think that can be an issue that I could see right. someone having. But I think if you're telling a new story or an altered story um, with the same character intent, then I, I think it's it's just not 
it's just two 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 totally different things and read the book again you know <laughs> yeah i get that i think uh like i yeah like i think that's perfectly valid and i like if I had stronger feelings about The Shining, I'd also probably feel weird about the whole book thing. Like, it also really depends. Like, I understand like, where they're coming from. I totally, I used to think like that, but then I stopped thinking like that. You know, I, right. I, I used to really think like that, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I mean, there's a reason nobody has ever made a Catcher in a Riot film, yeah. you know, because <laughs> it's a perfect book. And some of the things in that some of the things in that book can't be represented on film nah. correctly. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, so like certain, certain books are, are really good at being books and it would be really bad if they were made into movies. So, you know, there, there is, you know, it's two different mediums, you know, it's like translating a, a poem into a piece of music. I mean, it, it's, right. you know, it can be done but they are two different things you're, you're still putting squares into circles right just are you happy with doing that do you think that's creative or do you think that's a waste of time because you're trying to get this square into a circle you know <laughs> and yeah i love you know before we move on i love the point you made about like getting like like before you start like it's only gonna be worse if you start picking away at the authenticity of the character because like there are so many different mm -hmm. interpretations of so many different kinds of media where like the cat like 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 the core of a main character the core of a protagonist is still in there so it still feels like so so like even if it isn't like a 100 faithful adaptation like it still feels like you're watching a thing and um like that's kind of like i guess ha having seen both versions of it like I still recognized the new Pennywise played by one of the younger Scars guards. I forget which one. Um, I like I recognize that Pennywise <laughs> as Pennywise, but he's also like a different kind of Pennywise. And I was a uh, like um I'm just just for reference, I'm 29, so I was um I don't think I, I might not have okay. Um, I forget exactly what year it came out. Like I like I've seen it. I didn't see it on TV, but like. Like I had already seen it before I saw. I it I, I and, I'm not uh, that old either, man. I, I mean I I'm not. First. I mean I'm older. I'm, like somebody that's you know 13 years older than me was born in 1965 or something. You know what I mean? Like so. Right, right, right. I was probably like four or five, and I remember the scene at the Chinese restaurant, and with the eyeball in the in the in the fortune cookie. Yeah. And just like totally being freaked out and i didn't remember what that was even from until i made it a point to go in and check out um i guess when they announced the new it they had they put the old it back on tv and i was like i'm gonna watch that i want to see that and i made a point that i bought the the dvd or the blu-ray later so i watched it again because i really loved it and uh and when i when that chinese food restaurant scene came up again i was like I was like, wow, I, I hadn't remembered where that nightmare was. I thought maybe that was my own nightmare. But, uh, <laughs> you know, to me, that's perfect, though. You know, it's so it's campy, but it's super believable. You know, I, I guess a lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, that have a different expectation of visual effects um, would see that and think it's comical. But for me, you know, I'm looking at that scene at the end where at the end of the new one where Pennywise um I think he's like shooting fire or like whatever the fuck is happening at the end of the movie where it just becomes a cartoon to me. Like he's just like 
a fire breathing giant clown like you know he do- oh no 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 it's when he's dancing with the fire and he does ah, like the, the yeah. little, little jig <laughs> and i'm just like yo be like this is not that but that's funny right like it's yeah. it's it's good because it's funny not good because yeah. it's scary and there's a difference you know and yeah. and that was that that's like one of those things you know what i mean we're like yes you can make him dance at warp speed you know but it's also context you know like you could you could compare that to like fury road when um the guitar dude is like you know on on the train and he's like you know they, they just have like a hired guitarist at all times yeah and that shit is funny but it's also fucking eerie and haunting at the same time and that's a new movie you know that's a modern movie I thought that was fucking brilliant because I'm in the theater watching that and, you know, you've got the surround and you can hear this fucking guitar like thrashing your face, like from all angles. And as a musician myself, you know, and a fan of music, it's hilarious, but it's also like fucking haunting and weird and bizarre. And while you're chuckling, you're kind of wondering what the fuck does this mean and it's great that's art you know that's that's what art is about it's about confusing you just enough without irritating you and and like i think that's the fine line you know with visual effects what you can do and what you should do are two different things right and it's great that you brought that up because that's also never explained like you don't know where that guy came from what he's what he's supposed to be doing he's just there and like and like i remember seeing fury road in the theater too when it first came out like that was like like i was really into the game borderlands at that point so i was like already very much into that like post-apocalyptic like desert type shit so i was already like looking for that stuff anyway and i saw that and i was like okay this is gonna be great like (laughs) so um but no i agree i agree that like that's um I, um, I mean, it's I, also my style. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's right, that's yeah. my style of humor and entertainment. Some people are not into that. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I don't not not you, but like in general, like I'm sure a lot of people saw like that part of Fury Road and just were confused by it and irritated them, and it kept them from enjoying the movie as fully as they wanted to. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know. to each their own. You know, right. so it is what that's it is. Personally, yeah, it's like you said, it's all about perspective, and I and, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I really appreciate you bringing up that perspective thing because like that. You know, like that colors our experience with every kind of art, whether it's film or paintings or music or whatever. So I think that's a culture moves so fast now with technology that it's one of the great sort of divides in understanding, I think, you know, because a film, the pacing of a film, the look of a film is so different than it was even 10 years ago and certainly 10 years before that you know if it just it 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 can and music is the same way you know what is acceptable musically 10 years ago is different than what's acceptable today and 10 years before 10 years ago all that like culture is beautiful because it's constantly evolving um not just in the west but around the entire world music is always changing culture is changing arts changing um but for fans of art you know it gives us all sort of like this responsibility to sort of have this um empathy toward you know previous generations and current generations that we might not understand and it's a great place to come together um that's what i love about it you know i I really do that's a word bro wow that's that yeah i love 
like like bridging the gap is like i'm sure mm-hmm. you know this about me but this where like bridging the gap is something that's so important to me like yeah. between the old and the young and like all like like particularly within rap and yeah. um i want to um i want to save that for later because that's going to be one of the last things i ask you about i'm so happy cool. you're already there that's fine sure, man yeah man um, no. but before before we get to that i want to um i want to know a little bit more about your uh your early time with music so like when did you like you've already mentioned a couple of times that at this point like around the time you had seen basquiat you already knew or or at least that was like part of the spark that made you sure. want to start engineering so um when did you first fall in love with rap music in particular like when did you uh, first even decide you wanted to do or, or, or like not even do it but just like yeah and be a part of it um i heard rap music before this moment but when <laughs> speaking of dating myself here but like um when mary mary came out from run dmc that was that was the moment where rap went from being something that I heard at a very young age and was familiar with like, like my first memories. And actually I talk about this on the album, uh, on only child, like, uh, there's a song called U 68 and U 68 is, this is actually really relevant to your question, not just a a cheap plug, but, uh, (laughs) U 68, um, was a, a, a music video, local television station in New York city in 1984 and 1985. It only lasted for, really the better part of 14 or 15 months when you're six that's like your whole life so to me it was like this huge thing and you know my family didn't have cable you know till after i moved out of the house you know what i mean so like i i i never saw cable until i met my wife (laughs) well that's not true i had some friends that i came on in high school and shit but like i didn't i didn't know mtv you know i heard about it and and watched it at friends houses in junior high and high school but at that age you know this is what it was and and cable in fairness in 84 and 85 cable was a new thing that not many people had um but in but in 84 and 85 like u68 was on your dial and and you know tvs then had the, the dials you know and U68 was a channel, you know, at the back in the day, like, you know, your your TV station just had your rap, your TV set just had your rapid ears and your two dials. And most of the channels were on that, that first band. But if you went to the U band, you can go to channel 68 and it was music videos all day. And, you know, that's where I first came in contact with, with rap music and hip hop. You know, it was Run DMC, Fat Boys, UTFO, Houdini, all those groups. And then all the other 80s stuff like Tears for Fears and hall notes and cindy lopper and all that shit was playing and i got like a mix of all of that and and hip-hop really stood out to me you know fat boys and run dmc in particular of course to a six-year-old is gonna really hit the nail on the head and you know um it 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 shaped me and then like when my family moved a lot of only child the album that i just made um it takes place in my earliest memories and my earliest memories are you know before my family moved from a place older and people were playing like he's tougher than leather and 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 you know mary mary and beats of the rhyme and like that that crystallized it that this is something that I was going to be a part of, um, you know. And then I didn't really start rapping until junior high school. You know, my first shit 
that I did was probably when I was about 12, when I first started writing, writing raps and stuff. And, you know, and then I just kept growing from there, you know, honestly, like by the time I was done with high school, I wasn't even really rapping. I was trying to like, um, save up money so I could buy DJ equipment and, and, you know, and make beats and stuff. And then I just had it in me, you know, when I, when I, I stopped for a couple years from like maybe 16 to 20, I didn't really take rapping very seriously. And then when I hit 20, 19, 20-ish, I started writing again and I slowly built up the capacity to, you know, do what I do. And I, I honestly, like, I didn't really hit a stride of like, you know, rapping and making music that was within I don't know that I was comfortable with like, you know, within my own skin until, you know, until I was in my thirties, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's something that's important to be said, you know, like, I mean, I, I I'm proud of the music I made most of it, you know, that, that I made in my twenties, I never did any weak shit, but, and, and you know, that stuff could have went further had it been the right time and place, but um, you know, it wasn't until, my young thirties that I really started writing music that I felt like started to connect with people and started to connect with me, you know, harder. Right. And that's like, I, like, I feel like, like, especially because you were coming up like earlier in raps life, like that was a thing from what I understand, that was a thing like, 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 like being the 30 year old rapper wasn't a thing that anybody was like trying to hear like that. Like rap was like even more aggressively right. a young man, a, a young person's game than it is now. I, it kind of, it kind of, mm -hmm. it kind of feels like there's more That's... space for people, for people from there, you know, like, you know, like late twenties. Yeah. I mean, 30s, dude, like 30 whenever. years old. Yeah. I mean, 30 years old was like ancient in rap music, you know, like you couldn't be 30. There's stories you could read. Um, I remember, you know, I'm a huge guru fan. Um, Guru's one of my favorite MCs of all time. He's and, um, and guru, there, there was a story. I don't remember where I heard it, but there was a story about guru being very protective of his age. And a lot of people didn't know, and I didn't realize this, Guru is like a year or two older than DMC is. Wow. And like, but but obviously Gangstar came along and got signed much later than Run DMC, you know, almost 10 years later, but maybe a little bit shy of 10 years. And, but Guru, you know, was protective about like how old he was and, and felt a certain kind of way about the possibility of being judged as an older rapper and always wanted to be, you know, seen as current and and i don't blame them because that was what the what the culture was then and i think to some degree it still is now it's just that now we have so many avenues of releasing music and being independent that people like me just stop giving a fuck you know right. just like well i'm just gonna do this because i can and like you can't stop me you know so like yeah. you know as a as a 40 plus mc and creative like you know, who's going to tell me shit, you know, um, I'm gonna keep doing what I do. And but that wasn't really an attitude you could have at a time when major labels were the difference between you having a career and not, you know, rap was still really young, then you couldn't just independently, like tell the whole world to fuck off if you wanted to release music and people to hear them. I mean, this is pre internet. So like, how would people even hear you if if you weren't being 
having your product pressed up by a label of some sort, you know? Right. Yeah. Or, or, or being like you and like really being tuned into like local TV and local radio. Cause like, because of course there were tons of people who were all over like stretch and Bob and all of that stuff. But like, if you didn't have mm-hmm. like, like if you weren't was, in that yeah. area and you didn't have that resource, then you weren't hearing shit. Like if you just weren't, you know, like, or, or, or not that you weren't hearing shit, but you, you were only, you were only hearing like what was on the radio or like what the labels were putting forward. So I just think that's an interesting contrast in an era where like, where, you know, like rock Marcy is doing his thing. and like Griselda and somebody like Danny Brown can like have his big break when he turns 30. I think about that all the time now. Like that's like, that probably wouldn't have happened back in like the, yeah, I mean, those days. <laughs> No, I wouldn't have. And if it did, it would have been like, oh yeah, he's he's twenty five. You know, <laughs> like nobody would have admitted it. You know, so it's 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 interesting, man. I feel blessed that I was I was raised in an area that I was in New York City, that I was raised in the era that I was. You know, when I caught, you know, I caught like Red Alert in his prime on the radio. Yeah. I caught Flex before, you know before Flex became like a national name, you know, like when he was yeah. DJing locally. I can remember hearing Chuck Chill out DJ on the radio, but I could also remember vividly, you know, like catching Stretch and Bobito on the air. And, you know, I mean, late era Awesome 2 on 105.9, um, you know, Underground Railroad with, with Jay Smooth. Like I remember all of those shows and I caught a little bit of the old old school air quotes and and some of the you know the the new school stuff i was i was in the right time at the right place in in some ways and other ways not but in, in some ways like i i was i was fortunate for that and and it gives me you know i think you have to make the best out of the time that you have while you're young i mean i sound super old saying that Ugh. I mean... but, but you have to make the best out of that time because it gives you the context for who you're going to be when you are older. You know, like the things that I say and talk about in life and in my music wouldn't exist and wouldn't have the same flavor if I didn't go through what I went through, you know, at the time when I did or have the experiences that I did at the time when I did, you know, like your, your, you know, your twenties are like the foundation for the rest of your life. You know, if, if you, if you, you know, I really sound like a dad here, which I'm not. But like, if if you fuck your 20s up, your whole house is on a shitty foundation and you're going to be fixing your house the whole rest of your fucking life. It's not to say that you can't have fun or do whatever the fuck, but like, you know, that's just that's just the reality of it. And so, like, I was lucky that, like, I got exposed and was into music and knew where to go and found my way through like navigating the culture and and get myself involved even in it, you know? Right. And, you know, like you, yeah, like that kind of, that kind of like just being grateful about that is so like things could have gone so many other ways and you really like you definitely, definitely you were, you put yourself in a position where like, you put yourself in a position where you were somebody who was into this culture and you made, you just made your way. And you, um, and, and, like, and like you've mentioned this a whole bunch of times since we started talking about um, your work as an engineer. Like, and of course, most people listening probably know that you, you played a very big part in helping uh, Cannibal Ox is the Cold Vein 
come to life and did a lot of early work with Def Jux, which mm-hmm. is like really incredible. Like, I don't know if I ever told you that, but that's like, wow, that's incredible. So like, just, you know, just, Word, just, just um, of course, just for like some context, like what, like, you've kind of talked about it a little bit, but like, when did you realize that you like really wanted or actually, no, let me ask a different question. When did you realize that you wanted to both be a rapper mm-hmm. and an engineer? Like, was that ever, what, did those two things ever happen for you at once? Or like, did one happen before the other? How did that happen for you? Um, You know, I've gotten the question before a few times of, you know, because I do engineer and I produce and I rap and do this and do that and do the other thing, Um, you know, like, you, you, you it's very valuable to understand i think if you if you're the kind of person that does want to do a lot of things um like i was like you have to like walk before you can run and you have to spend a good amount of time on each thing you know they can overlap you know like i was rapping when i was engineering i, I was in a group called the presence uh, we put out an ep called advanced bloodbath um, we put out a single on Def Jokes called Woke. Um, before, <laughs> ironically, before Woke was like like one of the most popular terms ever. Like we right. we just <laughs> we were referring to waking up to horror, um, but that was that was what Woke meant then in two thousand and three. But um, but we put out that single on Def Jokes. So I was rapping at the time when I was engineering. But um, as I've said on on one of my other podcasts. Um, flashback sessions, um, you know, which is on the uh, on Common Records YouTube page. Um, I talked a little bit about like why I didn't put out more music then. I was taught very strictly when I was in recording studios as an intern before Jokes and when I was learning, you know, the art of engineering at IR, like don't sweat the musicians, don't, you know, busybody yourself, don't do those things. And rightly or wrongly, I took those that ethos very, very, very seriously. And, um, you know, I think if you ask anybody that knew me, then nobody would ever say that I was some kind of, you know, brown noser trying to push my own agenda. I just I just I was anti I was the antithesis of that to a fault, perhaps. Um, And, you know, so so, yeah, I mean, I was rapping at the time I was putting stuff out. I, I've always had an independent streak. I always wanted to do things my own way. And even though I was around people that were doing things very positively in hip hop and making moves, I still wanted to do it my own way. And again, rightly or wrongly, that's just the mentality that I had, especially in my twenties, you know? Right. And, uh, and you know, like that meant, but, but, but like at the same time, like that mentality led you toward that mentality led you toward finding your own path and like kind of, building your own foundation which of course leads you to something like uncommon records so like how like talk to me about the beginning of uncommon records and how and like why you decided to make your own label and like create this house for yourself yeah i mean like i was saying i mean i, I think you know being around Def jokes at an early time like i got to see you know what i thought they were doing right and and you know sometimes you get to see what people are doing wrong i mean every label does things right and wrong it doesn't wrong doesn't mean evil wrong it just means incorrect wrong right and so i i wanted to do things my way you know and there were things that i wanted to do at the time when i started on common records i wanted to make sure that everything that we put out was 
not left field on purpose. You know what I mean? Like trying to be quote unquote weird or, or anything, but like I wanted to make sure that the way I referred to it at the time that I, I've since stopped referring to it is like progressive. I wanted to make sure that everything, you know, went after a certain certain style, you know, that it was experimental. And and that's what I wanted to create with with Uncommon Records. And for a long time, that's what I did. And, and I, I, you know, to some degree, that's what I still do with the label. But, you know, those sorts of ideas are very simplistic in today's environment. You know, it's kind of arcane to go go to like this experiment, you know, putting any kind of like subgenrefication on forms of hip hop is, is, to me, is very passe. It's very like, you know, old school. So like, um, you know, I wouldn't approach music that way today. But I'm glad that I approached music that way then. And, you know, that set the foundation again, like I said, you know, for, for who I am today and what I do today. And um, that's a big reason why I started on Common Records. I mean, it was, you know, 2004 was our first release. And now here we are, you know, 17 years later, you know, still putting out music. You know, I've had some detours here and there, but like, you know, still putting out music and, you know, some of the aims of the label changed over time. You know, I went from being an active sort of talent scout, A&R kind of person running a label, trying to find people to bring into the fold to being very internalized, to being like, oh, well, I don't even produce anything on this label. I need to produce everything on the label. So now I think I have like some sort of balance between it only being my production and my voice and and being balanced with like a select few people that I know that I trust that I believe in and that have been with me for a long enough time that I know that well knowing is is impossible but that I feel you know is not gonna blow up in my face you know what I mean that that I'm gonna have people around me that have my back and that I have theirs and and that's the most important thing you can have in life especially in music because if you don't have that in music, what the fuck do you have? You have a bunch of phony bullshit, you know? So yeah. that's what my label is about, really. It's about, it's about loyalty and respect and, and talent and, and, you know, support, you know? And that, that's that's where I'm at now. And that's that's what I hope to bring to the industry, really. Right. And, like, you've been around. And, and, yeah, like, being around and, like, still being still standing after 17 years, especially now, is no, that's no joke. Like, that's it takes it takes a lot to be able to run a business in the music industry for like five years let alone almost mm-hmm. two decades you know and like you've and and, and you know like you've kind of you've you've like cultivated a space for people like yourself and for um and for people like short fuse and all the work that you've done with like messiah music and everything like mm-hmm. like you've really like like you've reflect like you're reflecting like you're not bullshitting when you say that you've really built this space for you and this small community of people that you trust to kind of go off and make music that you like and hopefully connect with other people. And yeah. um that's really tight. Like that's 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 probably like we like like there's been a lot of talk about like the the quote unquote old school and like morals and that's probably about as like down and dirty hip hop shit as you could possibly be just like that idea of loyalty and that idea of just like having that like strong. Yeah, man. Like that's, that's fire. Like it's, you know, commendable. 
hip hop to me, the thing that hip hop is that other genres are not sometimes it's and and where hip hop loses me when it doesn't have this is hip hop is about authenticity. If you're talking about street shit, if you're talking about emo shit, if you're talking about, you know, weird shit, whatever, if it sounds authentic and it, and it, it a true living is authentic to that person speaking it, even if it's something that I haven't lived myself, then hip hop puts it in a, in a form that we can have that, like we were saying before, that meeting space where we have that meeting of the mind, you know, other genres don't have that ability the way hip hop does. So um, that's where I come from, man. That's what I'm about. And like, you know, look, doing this for 17 years, I'm not doing it because I'm making fucking thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it by any means. You know, I'm doing it for the love of it. And because more importantly, the love of hip hop is there, certainly. But you know, the passion for creating and for sharing what I do and what the people I care about do is is tantamount. You know, that's that's the driving force that has me doing this for this many years. There's been plenty of times where I've been like, maybe I should just stop and do something else. Maybe I should spend a good five years just teaching myself how to write better fiction or just teach myself how to paint way better than I can now studying the elements of how to paint things, you know, because I didn't go to school for this shit. I didn't go to school for music. I didn't go to school for any of this shit, you know? So like nobody taught me anything. And I come from a hip hop era where like, if you had equipment, nobody would give you tips. There was no YouTube. There was no homies. Even people that knew you would be like, yo, figure that shit out. And like, that's, that's, so that's what I come. I don't. I don't bring that to the culture, or to the music, because I, you know, we're in a different time. But that is what I'm cut from. You know, um, people would literally not show you how to do shit in EMP on purpose. Mm. You know, like it's just that's just that was normal. That wasn't even yes. like, man, this sucks. That was just like, oh yeah, of course he's not going to tell me how to do that. Yeah, sink or swim type shit. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Wow, and um you yeah yeah like you were just talking you were just talking about the fact that like you've thought about kind of veering away and focusing on other types of art but there's always something that draws you back and that's how you know that you're really clearly like that's how you know that you've really invested in this shit and that comes through in the way that a lot of your recent albums have really explored concepts like you like you're somebody who loves to like you like you love a good concept record mm-hmm. and i love that about you and the one like 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 whenever i think about the quintessential uncommon nasa concept record it's always like it's always new york telephone mm-hmm. for me like i don't really know why i come back to that one all the time but like i love the cover and just like the way you take all these aspects of the city and cram it into an album is really unique and not like anything I've heard in a while. So like, just because I'm curious, like talk to me about where the idea to create a project like New York Telephone came from and like what it means to you uh, a sure, handful man. of years later. Well, thank you for saying that, first of all. Um, yeah. um, you know, 
New York Telephone came out of like the 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 wake of uh, my first album, which is Landed Away It Is. And um, I actually had made the song New York Telephone for Landed Away It Is. And what I was going to do was just take New York Telephone, the song, and make a couple other songs and do like a follow-up EP. And shout out to Black Tokyo, because I remember talking to him about that. He's one of the producers that worked on New York Telephone and, and Landed Away It Is. And so, you know, of course, produced all of Halfway. Um, and he was like, nah, man, you should take it, make it an album. And I was like, and I was the first person that I can remember that said that to me. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I have enough now. I have enough songs. I can keep going. And, you know, it just evolved from there, you know, and that was the first album that I like used, um, interludes to bring a concept or a theme together. I, I kind of like to refer to my records as themes, uh, themed records, right. um, you know, and, and that kind of brought that theme together. And, you know, I had gotten some, I had actually gotten some critical reviews, um, positive reviews from critics about Land of the Way It Is. And, and there was one review that like pointed out how New York the record sounded, you know, not just like the, the beats or whatever, but like my voice and the way that I carried myself or whatever. And, yeah. and, um, and I just started to buy into that. You know, I started to think like, oh, wow, like this would be, this is something that people are seeing in me that I didn't even realize I was putting out there because it's natural, you know, it's real, you know, and, and I need to like cultivate that as an artist. And, and that's where New York telephone evolved from. Obviously these aren't all conscious thoughts at the time, but like, this is, you know, that, that's what, that's what I can go back and say about that time period and what I was doing. And that was one of the first times that I, I didn't just sort of do something that was reflective on my own life, but um, that I, sort of purposefully reflected on certain experiences in my life um that were all authentic but all kind of tied together in that theme and that's that's how new york telephone came to be you know right and of course oh. and of course like one of the of course probably the most uh probably what like like what i would what i would arguably call like the centerpiece of the project is you know a song like this bodega is trying to kill me which is just this very like I like I can't even put into words like how I felt when I first heard the song like it's a uh, like like could you explain where the idea for this bodega is trying to kill me came from because it's something that I always come back to whenever I think about your music like I'm not really sure why. it's just it's just living around bodegas you know and, and living in, in in that environment and working in that environment you know um I I, you know, you're constantly, you know, for me, you know, living and, and bodega isn't, you know, it's not a term in New York, you know, bodega is a term, depending on who you're talking to, of course, but talking to me, you know, and, and you know, talking to white people, um, a bodega is just kind of like a quick, cheap deli. You know what I mean? I know that there are some more more important cultural references to be made about you know a bodega in a certain context but in the context of that song a bodega is referring to really like you know a deli that's run to just sell shitty products to people without real consideration for their health or well-being and then taking the profits of that outside of whatever area that is 
And that was sort of what this bodega is trying to kill me is about. And I think anyone that, you know, people that, when I would take that show, that, that song on the road, I would go to places where I, I started to work into my act because I always like to do like, my, my music's kind of serious and thinking. So I, I would try to be as, as funny as I'm capable of being in between songs, which is not very funny, but is at least sarcastic funny. And I would, um, I would often poll the audience, depending on where I was, and say like, do you know what a bodega is? And believe it or not, I, I say that, you know, actually believe it or actually don't believe it. Um, there were some places that they, they had never heard that term before. You know, there, there, there were places that were, you know, that, that just had not heard the term before. And, and I had to explain the song to people. Um, but even in those places, there'd be one person that had visited New York and had been to a bodega once in their life and understood what that song was getting at, you know, and, and that was really rewarding about that. Um, and you know, it, it was a, a song that I performed a lot and it was, um, it was just cool. I mean, you know, the, the, the sample just led itself to, to, to something grimy and, and sort of food based and, and the way that Black Tokyo flipped that beat. And it just led me to that place, man. I, I, you know, I wrote the, you know, I laid out the chorus myself, you know, I recorded that and, you know, I did my verses and I was off and running with that song. And so, you know, um, yeah. But, but that was, and it, and it fit, you know, like I, I had, Bodega was one of the first songs that was done, like I said, like during that EP phase of New York Telephone. And once I had a song like that, and I had the New York Telephone track, you know, like, and, and a few others, it, it that's what started the ball rolling of like, oh, this is an entire theme of New York and, and, you know, you know, things that used to be and things that still are and, and navigating my way through New York as it is now in current time with the context of a person that has been here for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it was at the time, you know? Yeah, and considering considering how hard gentrification continues to hit so many different areas in New York and just like the fact that just 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 like just like all the different people I've seen throughout the city, just like and just like all the different types of people I've seen throughout the city and the way they interact with bodegas in general, I just like the so like the song that like 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 you were mentioning the beat, the beat almost like it almost sounds like a horror movie. It almost sounds like one of those B movies that you were talking about, like watching as a kid. Like that's always kind of the vibe I get from it. Yeah, like yeah. Something that's something that's kind of like something that's kind of campy, but like not too campy to you know miss the, it like it almost reminds me of something like the toxic avenger right like the toxic avenger is a movie that i love yeah, because yeah. it's so it's so silly but it's also like an incredibly it, it's got like an incredibly urgent message to it and like and like as someone who, as as a new jersey native like that's that's like my stomping ground so like i'm i'm just i'm just big on i'm just big on the toxic avenger but like like that right. song gives me that type of vibe that's that it's like it, it's like engaging and kind of like fun but not too fun that you don't miss the fact that you're talking about like oh like right watch out for people who are trying to poison you with with this food and take advantage of you 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's 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 also like to your point about the beat and and the way it works. You know, it's it's dystopian on purpose. You know, right. it's it's embellished on purpose. I mean, this is art. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I I guess that's lost on some people sometimes. But like, you know, music is an embellishment of of real life. You know, so you know, uh, do I stay awake at night, like terrified of bodegas and the food? Like, no, but like, you know, it, it, it certainly is a thing that gnaws at you, you know, where you're just like, wow, like, you know, I can turn on the TV and hear a news story every day about, you know, food deserts, but I'm, I'm watching, you know, people drive off in Mercedes selling, you know, 50 cent, like hostess cakes, you know, in the same area. It's just like, it's just not, you know, it's not about being a health nut or like, you know, like super like progressive on that mo on that particular topic. I mean, I am, but that's not what the point of the song was. It was more, right. more about like, you know, just the dilapidation of, of areas that should, you know, get more support and get more, um, you know, more, more actual servicing from, from industry that, that they don't, you know. Right. And, um, you know, to your point, um, one of my good homies, my man, Kemba from the Bronx, he wrote an article for the Huffington Post quite a few years ago about, um, about like, about, about like being in the Bronx and like the fact that the BX is probably like the, fruit and vegetable hub of the entire city like all the like all the groceries like all the grocery stores get their stuff from the bronx like it all comes from there hmm. and he would talk about in the article he talked about waking up it, he would talk about waking up in the morning and seeing the trucks with all the healthy food going to manhattan and he would just be <laughs> going to like kennedy fried chicken you know like that's like like i think that's the type of shit mm -hmm that this bodega is trying to kill me kind of reminds me of and like as yeah. someone no absolutely as someone, that's as that's that's the absolutely the point yeah that was what i was trying to say yeah right yeah and like as some i didn't mean to cut you off sorry and then like as someone from the tri-state area like no, 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 that, that resonated so hard with me like as someone from the tri-state like so yeah like that's part of the reason why i love that song so much <laughs> um so um so moving on to Only Child, which we've kind of hinted at quite a few times, but now we're here. This is a, uh, this is this is your first album you've done, and not it hasn't it hasn't been too long, but you know, like it feels like this is, mm -hmm. this is just another this is just another really interesting theme that you that you've put together here with Messiah Music. Like you mentioned that this is you mentioned that this album is just about this is probably one of your most personal records that I think I've ever heard. Definitely. Like it's so like what, so like, I guess, uh, what inspired you to open yourself up so much about your early life on this album and kind of like use that as a theme to tie together these songs? Like why, why now? Um, I think, you know, for me with this record, like this is a record that I really feel like I didn't have the ability or the talent to make until now. Um, I always had these thoughts in my head. Um, I always was thinking about these moments in my life, you know, and saw them in my head, not as music particularly, but like visually, and they were important moments for me, 
you know, um, like your hands will turn to rust and U68 and things like that. Um, those are important moments in my young life. And I, I, you know, as an only child, I don't know whether this is true or not, because I don't have the experience of being an only child, but I feel like being an only child, I've, I've held on to a lot of those early memories, um, maybe more vividly um, than the average person that maybe has siblings and just has more memories. I mean, I think if you have siblings, you have memories, especially if you're similar in age, um, with your siblings, you know what I mean? So your, your, your memories are going to be like, you know, that time when whatever happened with whoever that is, you know, when you're an only child, you, you don't have that, you know, you, you have the memory of something that happened to you. That's it. You know, your whole life. I mean, even as an adult, like, you know, right. Same you know perspective and all that. yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I have memories with my wife because I'm married, but like, until you do get married as an only child, you really just have memories that happen to you and that's it. Um, and, and part of that is, is why this record was made, you know, it was to get those things off my chest musically and translate them into music. And like I said, like I had to go through all the other records that I made to get to the point where I could make a record like this, you know? And, um, you know, I think it's a, it, it follows in the line, you know, of, of a lot of my music, um, you know, I think each of my albums is themed a certain way and stands on its own for better or worse from the other records that are around it. But, you know, in my catalog, but I also liked, would like to think that, you know, I could take a song from here and take a song from there and, and they would actually be interchangeable, uh, to different records too. And, you know, I think with only child, like maybe this is the least like that, you know, like this record really kind of is is on its own. I mean, there are some songs on here about life and times that I had in New York City, just like other albums of mine. But there are also, you know, songs that deal with mortality and life decisions and, and you know, my earliest memories, which I hadn't brought in. And I, I talk about my family a lot. You know, to me, this record is like a dedication to my parents and my earliest memories with them. Um, you know, and, and that's that's what this record is to me, you know? Yeah. And I really, I really, I really got a lot of that stuff. I really got a lot of that like familial connection from it. It really feels to me like the first and last songs kind of hit me um, pretty, pretty wild. Um, the first song being Quark Strangers in the Hour of Chaos and the last song being Trimesters. Like there was, um, there are just so many, like you just give so much of yourself on <laughs> this you. it, like it, it's 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 um that's not an easy thing to do in any medium and like right. especially especially in rap music where people like mm -hmm. you, you, you know like there are of course all these preconceived notions about what it means to be hard and like yeah. how much and like how much is sharing like like how much of yourself you're allowed to share before it starts to get to be too much and like right. and like i guess i was just wondering like was there ever a period of time when you made this where you kind of had to confront those issues and had to be like, nah, you got to stop. Like you can do this and you don't have to hold yourself to anybody else's preconceived notions. Like was it like, did that insecurity ever come up? No, no. I mean, I understand what you're saying. And that certainly is, is part of life in the rap medium. Um, but 
it didn't come up on this record because I've been doing that already. Um, right. You know, this, this is just a further step, probably a much deeper step, but granted, but, um, but you know, if you listen to um, parts are written at night, you know, you're going to hear me sort of opening up and saying things that the average rapper is not going to say about themselves. Very and true. I think Only Child just kind of took all of those sort of hints of that that I had dropped on other records and just made it a whole album of that, you know, um, or at least most of an album of that. And um, I get into things that, you know, I, I really did, I, like I said, it's dedicated to my parents. It's made for myself. You know, like I made this, for, I love the culture and I love art and I love being able to connect with people. And it, it's really beautiful when you can make a record about yourself and other people can see themselves in that story. And that's my hope with Only Child, that that happens for people, um, you know, uh, because I'm not that interesting. But I think, you know, the point is making a record about yourself is to get that identification and to have everybody that hears it sort of meet in this middle ground and bring people together by saying like, oh, you had this experience. Well, I actually had a similar experience and, you know, here's, here it is in song form, you know? And like, I think, you know, you know, we're recording this before the album is out. Um, but the album will probably be out when, when people are hearing this. Um, and I'm, I'm super curious what people take from it because a lot of the stuff on here is very, inside my own experiences and and things that I, I suspect only i'll understand but everything that i wrote is is with the intent it, it is with an intent i should say um it all makes sense it all is there for a reason and i hope that you know writing a record that's this personal about me that people see themselves in what i'm saying and and we can come together or you know around an album you know or around right. a piece of art not nah, facts and um to me the one song that really like the song that struck me the most hearing this was a song like vincent crane because i think like because like i think the idea of coming mm. the, <laughs> like the, the 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 idea of like discovering someone and like knowing about someone who you feel like should be more famous than they are is something that I think a lot right. of people, a lot of people, especially especially within our culture, kind of, and, and, and like not even just rap, but like yeah. music in general. Like there are so many unsung and underappreciated yeah. people that no one thinks about. And uh, I think I think that's an idea that kind of speaks to this whole, like you feel like it's only something that you understand, but you're excited to see whether or not other people connect with it. And like I connected with that. So like what? So like, walk me through real quick. Walk right, me through yeah. the creation of Vincent Crane and like where that idea came from for that song. Yeah, I mean the song is is about Vincent Crane, but it's also about me, and it's also about what you said. You know what I mean? Like so, you 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 got what's there, but there's there's a few ways to look at it. You know, like the song in in its like literal form is about my um my internship my first internship at a recording studio working with older dudes you know generational gap you know what i mean like i was 17 years old working in a recording studio with dudes that were in their like 
I guess they were in their mid thirties, but you know, when you're 17, everybody's old. So who the fuck knows? But like, you know, we're probably in their mid thirties, if not forties. And, you know, I'm there like, just like a sponge, like soaking up music. And, and, you know, I'd only known hip hop and a little bit of reggae by the time I hit the studio, I didn't know anything else, nothing. And, you know, I came in and I started listening to like all these progressive rock records well, CDs that they had, um, you know, and when I was there, literally, you know, as I say in a song, like mopping and doing dishes and shit, I'm listening to like, you know, King Crimson and Emerson Lake and Palmer and Gentle Giant and groups like that. And just learning that like rock music doesn't have to be Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Guns N' Roses. It can be this like, wow, I didn't know that. And like, then as I got older, you know, I, you know, like I say in the song too, like I, I started to see those similarities of like, okay, like when a genre is around for a certain amount of time, you know, all that stuff that was going on in New York, you know, juggernauts, to me, that was progressive, you know, that was experimental, that was taking hip hop in a different direction that was more story, story kind of you know direction the way that i understand how music worked you know beyond my little fandom of of hip-hop and um that's what the song is about from my perspective but it's also about like you know you dig into music like that you do discover these these people that deserve to be known you know that inspire you and change your life like a person like vincent crane who was the the leader um, of, of a group called Atomic Rooster. And they put out some amazing albums. And this dude usually kept the group as a trio. And he was an organist. He played the Hammond. And there was no bass player in the group. And he, he would play the bass lines along with the guitarist with his feet while he played the organ leads to match the guitars. You know what I'm saying? Like with his hands. So like- That's crazy. With the, you know, so like- and and that was just the amount of talent that you know certain people have and and like you can be i guess one of the messages of that song too is like you can be that gifted and if you're not the right look or the right time or from the right place or right about the 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 right things because most of his his music was very dark like uh their biggest album was called uh death walks behind you and um you know a lot of that like that death walks behind you and time take my life which is one of my favorite songs from them um or from from vincent really because he wrote it um you know that inspired an album like halfway you know that inspired a lot of like the way that i think about things and and you know and i also like thirdly like you know i also understand you know we're in the internet age so if i do a song like that there's a certain thrill, hopefully, a, a person will get from being like, fuck this guy talking about? Google this, you know what I mean? And like, look up Vincent Crane and find out what I'm talking about and like get that second experience. Now that you know who he is, you listen to the song again, you know, you get another experience, hopefully. You know, I mean, those are the kind of things that you, you try to do with art. You know, you try to make things fun and different or else you're just doing the same shit every day. So like, you know, that that's what that song is about, um, you know, very detailed explanation for you um, right 
and, 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 and like that's important because like that whole that whole idea of just like if you're not like if you're not still exploring and looking for new things like you're not actively learning and you're just kind of like your brain is just kind of in place and that's not always something that you want to do and it's clearly not something that you want to do like mm-hmm. that thrill of learning a new fact or like learning about a new thing and just kind of having it take over your life for like a week and just like you're thinking like yeah. damn like this person should really just be more known like that really mm-hmm. just speaks to this broader idea of like discovery and what that means especially in the internet age like when when like it, it's it's it, it can it can feel kind of overwhelming sometimes yeah. because like you have access to everything but you have access to everything like and that means everything like that's the thought of having so much information at your fingertips is wild overwhelming sometimes things happen but, so fast you can discover rabbit holes and and you know subcultures that you express an interest in becoming a part of so quickly now you know back then like pre-internet like you know you'd be able to sit with even an idea of like i'm a fan of progressive rock music and that would like sit in you know for six eight months you know until you know you would never really get tired of it It would just keep evolving and like you know it's it it, it's it's kind of sad like you know i mean i do it myself you know i'm not like you know like I'll, i'll i'll find something on youtube and really be into it you know like during the height of covid like i was making like weird ass bowls of ramen like every day and then i just stopped one day because i just first of all my cholesterol went way up but second of all um you know it's it's a thing you know it's it's you know you get access to to information so quickly you know and the internet is designed to feed you what you want at that moment not what you need forever you know, it's it's there. Like if you click on a recipe for homemade ramen, it gives you five more the next day. And that's great for those five days. But then after that, it's burnt you out too fast. So, right. you know, I, I think a lot of this record, too, is and, and the same was true for New York Telephone, you know, since you brought that up earlier. You know, it's really about connecting with a time when when things moved slower but not in a nostalgic way in a way of saying like this is still who we are you know this is still how humans work this is still how the brain works you know this is still we can all take deep breath take tangible memories and things that we want to explore without you know without sitting around and pining for some forgotten time you know it's right it's now you know you have control over over you know you know how fast things move for you right and that's uh that's actually a pretty great segue into one of these last two questions i have for you which is like considering the fact that you've been um kind of on the vanguard of on the vanguard of hip-hop for like over the for like nearly two decades like between your solo music and all your engineering work and everything you've done with uncommon records like you've seen a lot of changes within rap and culture at large, like kind of speaking mm-hmm. to this whole, like just the whole aspect of like how the internet democratized everything mm-hmm. to an extent. Mm-hmm. But like, so like for you, like having, having lived through all of this and experienced everything, like what's one aspect of rap culture that you're surprised has changed as much as it has over the years? Or 
if you would rather answer this one, what's something about the culture that's kind of stood the test of time that you're surprised is kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. people still kind of abide by that? Um, you know, it's easy to say like the, the hyper masculinity, um, you know, it is, it is strange that that has, has survived as much as it has. I think it's eroded a little bit. I'm not one of these people that is super against, you know, like, I don't know, tough guy rap and, and standing up for yourself and, and. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, like, against that. I mean, right. I have it yeah, in me. You know, I, I'm from I'm from that era, you know? Like, I'm from the era. If you say some fucking stupid shit, you, you might get punched in your face, you know? And, like, it, it's not, like, a big deal. You know, I, I think, you know, it's almost like the same answer. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I think there's there's some circles where you say that to people and, it, like, the, you know, the fucking the little the little monocle falls out of their eye or the you know you hear the silverware in the background and it's like you know at the end of the day like you can only push people so far you know what i mean and like there there has to be a point where if you say certain things you know there has to be a repercussion for that you know what i'm saying and like I don't fault hip hop for keeping those kinds of rules, but I am sort of surprised. Well, to the degree that they do, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on what generation you're from. You know, like, I'm surprised that people like I'm surprised that I still feel that way. I guess you know, and that people of my age group still feel that way. I'm surprised that we haven't let it go. Um, I can't let that idea go. Not that I'm out here fucking knocking people out or getting punched in the face every day, because it's not the kind of life I want to live, but um because i'm a grown person you know and i and i have an understanding of like that that's not the answer um but um for anybody but i also feel like it is surprising that people haven't sort of let that aspect go that are from my age group of it you know um but i also am surprised that younger people just don't feel that necessity at all um you know, for better or worse, you know, I mean, I look, I think, I think um, having a good nature is great, unless you're like a person that takes advantage of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I, I just think, you know, being a good person will, will, will get you very far. And like, if, if you're going to use like, people's goodwill like against them then you know that that's not right either yeah. you know I, I feel like a lot of people hide behind like the you know non-violence in order to sort of be like super passive aggressive in life and i think that's kind of fucked up and i think that's like relevant because like i think hip-hop in a lot of ways because of where it was started and and you know in new york um was very like hyper aware of that sort of thing in some weird way or at least that's what i took from it you know what i mean like don't bullshit people don't be a don't be an asshole you know and like i guess there's still some of that in hip-hop i don't know you know it's hard you know because i don't i don't keep up with every new movement so i don't really know the vibes but um you know it is hard for me to say because i i think that i guess the thing that i would be most surprised about is that the word and the term hip-hop kind of means so little 
and I don't want to get into like a real hip hop conversation because that's not where I'm going with it. But like, right. I just think that, you know, you, you, you can't, you know, if somebody is singing, they're, they're singing, you know what I mean? Like, like hip hop is really about rap. So it could be any kind of rap, but it's, it's interesting to me, like that people throw that around. Um, but that's been happening for 20, 30 years. That's been happening since like the hot 97 era of, of, you know, R&B soul or, or what is it? What was their slogan? Um, I don't remember. Anyway. Me either. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot to chew on there because like there, because like there are quite a few artists who managed to find this really weird like middle ground between between rapping and singing that I really appreciate but I also really like I also really like the fact that you brought up like like I think I think the thing you're talking about and like we were talking about earlier is about morals and like kind of having this like code of ethics and there are a lot of people like across all the age groups who just don't have morals and ethics when it comes to stuff like this and like they'll just say whatever they feel like needs to be said and take advantage of people like you'll have like you'll have someone who's Mm -hmm. really like who's like really blatant about it like dj academics and then there's just other people like who you said will like kind of use a front to be really passive aggressive and just like take advantage of you without you even realizing it and then and then like you get gaslit and you're like oh like wow like Am I, you know, and then you start to second guess yourself. And uh, that's a result of the internet too, though. You know, like, I mean, that's why I don't fuck with the internet like that, you know, because I just, you can't, you want to find me, you got to know where to find me at this point in my life. You know, like I'm too old for the, to keep up with all that shit. It's just it's craziness, you know, and, and people try to take that outside of the internet because the internet moves way faster than real life. And, um, People Way try faster. to apply, they try to apply that level of speed to real life. And that's when I think people kind of cross lines and shit. And, um, you know, I, I think you're right, though. It does come down to like ethics, man. Like, I come from a fandom and a practice of in hip hop of, of authenticity and, and ethics and morals and, and a code. You know what I mean? And like, I can't break, you know, I don't sit and break down what that is exactly, but you know it when you see it, you know, mm-hmm. and I and I think that, you know, no matter what kind of music you're making, I could care less what kind of music somebody's making, you know, it really, it, it just has to come from an authentic place, you know, I've seen all kinds of wild shit, like, you know, these days, and I, I, it's not made for me, and it's fine, like, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a grown 42 year old man. I'm not going to understand what a 16 year old person wants to hear or, or doesn't want to hear and is just being thrown at them. Um, but if it comes from an authentic place, I'm all for it. Like, it's awesome. Like that people are coming up with new things. Who the hell wants to hear a 16 year old try to sound like somebody from 1992? I don't want to hear that. Right. So, you know, yeah. You know, you're like, as long as you're being true to yourself, like, uh, yeah, like I'm pretty much the same way. Like I've kind of like like as I've gotten older, I've started to just appreciate a little bit of everything from every side of rap. And I'm really grateful for that because I've seen a lot of people just kind of fall out and just like lose their love for the whole thing. And it's like, I'm not there yet. But I yeah, 
I've um, come close. <laughs> but, I made it, I made it through the other side, but I, right. I was there. Of course, and like and like that's incredible. It's incredible that you like came to that point, but you like stayed the course and you kind of just planted your flag where you want to plant it and that you appreciate and understand that um you know like you're like everyone's different and you can just kind of like have an appreciation for somebody representing their authentic self whatever that might be because that's you know not a lot of people think like that and that's tight and you know like, that doesn't mean you have to like everything but you can at least get that like yeah okay like this is you I mean, what what like what you. what's wrong with somebody that that would say like that somebody else doesn't have a right to create what they want to create just because they don't like it, you know? Right. It's it's a weird mentality, man. I mean, I, I think it you know it does come from a time when hip hop culture was very heavily protected, um, and and and. I don't have a problem with protecting the culture. I try to do that in my own way as best as I can. But I also think there are there are bigger things at play. You know, artistic freedom and creative freedom are, are going to trump. Um, so I, it's a level of maturity I think a lot of people need to reach. You know, I mean, you look at the YouTube comments of any old school video and every single comment is like, man, this is how it used to be. And, you know, <laughs> these kids, they don't know nothing. And it's just like, I get that those are just YouTube comments and that they basically mean less than nothing. But the fact that you could count, I mean, I, I'd put, you name a video made in the 80s or 90s, I'll put any amount of money on within the first 10 comments, if not all 10 of the first comments will be something like that. So that, that's kind right. of scary. That's facts. It's it's horrifying. <laughs> it's absolutely horrifying. Like you go and look at like real quick before. I, I, I always think about. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like I went and looked at, Um, I remember when the, well, one of the, one of the newer Gangstar songs, um, Bad Name came out and just like looking through the comments of like all the, since you were talking about guru earlier like i'm looking at the comments and i'm like damn like this is kind of sad like you're like you're probably like a grown-ass man sitting in these youtube comments talking about like oh what you know about like shut up like just yeah. enjoy the music and move on like <laughs> get a life <laughs> yeah well i always think i always think when i see that like what i always think when i see that what does a young person reading that think like does that really make them want to explore or get into the music no right. you're just you're no. just driving people away from it and it's beyond youtube comments it's about how people carry themselves in real life too you know what i mean like you can't you can't just hate on everything it's it's ridiculous it's a really shitty way to live you know yeah and it doesn't help the cause of what you're trying to protect anyway you know yeah being a bum knows no uh it knows no router or uh anything like that like <laughs> at all um, but yeah, so the so the very so so like to kind of end this on a slightly more positive note, the the, la the last thing I wanted to ask you about was um I know you're also quite a big fan of the Twilight Zone, and I wanted to talk to you mm, a little bit about your relationship with the Twilight Zone and like how if at all it's kind of like inspired the way yeah. you read or you just appreciate like what Rod Sterling did and even if you've seen and watched and liked the reboot that Jordan Peele was behind. So like, talk to me a little bit about your relationship with the Twilight Zone. Man, um, Rod Serling is probably the biggest influence 
on me and my work of any other creator um in any medium wow. um you know um i i, I love rod serling um um i love the twilight zone it's my favorite show of all time um you know i've i i can't express enough admiration for the show and what was done um i could talk for two more hours about twilight zone episodes with you um so you know it's it's a big thing for me um you know obviously well maybe not obviously because i try not to make it super obvious but um you know there's lots of twilight zone samples and in, in lots of my music um i put together a city called mink swimming pools which is basically a collection of mostly back catalog twilight zone referencing songs um either with samples or, or lines and then i put some new stuff on there too i did that a couple years ago i was like 20 early 2017 like before written and i came out and uh yeah i mean it's it's definitely a big part of what i do you know um i could you know i could probably rank all 165 episodes of the series in the order of preference um uh, without any trouble so um as far as the new series i was really excited about it and i did really enjoy it um you know i think get out is the closest thing to a twilight zone movie you know in modern times um i agree 100%. i think there's, there's you know i think get out's one of the best films easily of the last 10 or 20 years mm-hmm. um you know it's it's a great movie. Um, everything about it. It's, it's again, like I said about The Shining. It's it's a perfect movie. There's nothing you could take away from that movie. So when when Jordan Peele was announced as the lead for the new Twilight Zone, I was really excited. And um, you know, I've as a ardent fan of the Twilight Zone and of Jordan Peele. Um, at times I probably had unrealistic expectations. And then at times I probably like saw something and like was completely mind blown about something nobody else even gave a shit about. You know what I mean? So like I, I have like swinging, you know, like swinging of emotions. There are some episodes of the new series that are not very good, just like there are some episodes of the original series that are not very good. Um, but when they were on point, man, they were really on point. I was really disappointed that they didn't come back for a third season. I really wish they would have done it. I know that there was a lot of internet heat, um, on the series itself. Um, some people didn't like it. Um, people that, but I think the thing that people have to realize about the internet, and this goes back to some of the earlier conversation is like the internet's full of shit, you know, like, You know, the internet will say like, oh, the new Twilight Zone's too woke. And it's like, well, the original Twilight Zone was all about civil change. Like, that's the reason I like it so much. Like, you know, the idea that somebody could watch any episode of the original Twilight Zone and not take, you know, some social or civil message from it, um, or at least an ethical message from it, you'd have to like bury your head and attack the new series, just never watched the Twilight Zone before and just assumed that it was you know what it was you know what they thought it was and you know so it's it's strange to me like i i I think you know there's an episode i don't know if you saw the new series but there's an episode called replay um that's really really good um there's a lot of good episodes i don't think i saw that one the the only one i remember watching is the stand-up comedy one oh and there was another one 
uh, about uh, some sort of alien thing. It kind of, it, um, um, mm. it kind of reminded me of they will arrive on Mulberry Street or whatever the, uh, I'm forgetting right. the name of the one where they're like all in the neighborhood and they, and all the neighbors start suspecting each other of the alien invasion. I forget what that one's called. The monster yeah, to do at Maple Street. Yeah, must, that's go. the that was the original uh, series. I, I guess there was probably some similar notes of that in, in one of the newer ones. Yeah, the one with the stand-up com- comedian, it was called The Comedian. Um, but uh, that that was one of the better episodes of the series. If I think that at one point I ranked them because I'm really nerdy like that. Um, but I, I mean, I I loved it. Yeah, I I loved it. There were only like a handful of episodes I didn't like. Um, but we only got 20 episodes, and you know, 30 would have been fine. I would have wanted more, but I would have been like, okay, you know, it's a hard series. I get it. But I, I really wish they would have given us a third season. I think there were some things that they really hit well in the second season. I I also feel like they tried, while they had the stage, they tried to get all their their deeper social messages out in the first season while they had the microphone. And then they went in the second season and did some more of the ethical sort of human experience episodes. I think if they had mixed the two, they probably would have had more success. But I don't I don't fault them for doing what they did and i liked it anyway myself but i just think they probably would have caught less heat had they had they approached it differently yeah probably but you know like that's just the decision they made and i want to go back and watch everything because i haven't seen all the episodes but like the handful i saw i had kind of i had some mixed feelings about it because i'm also a big fan of the original series i haven't seen every episode of the original series but i really have a great love and appreciation for it and uh to kind of cap this off like Talk to me a little bit about how Rod Serling has inspired the way you create, because I'm really curious about that. Um, I think Rod Serling taught me that you can have a voice when it comes to the ethical topics of the day. Um, you, you, it, it is your job, um, particularly as uh, a white person, to speak for people of color um to bring light to issues even if they're uncomfortable not just for white people but for anyone to discuss to provide as much um you know cover and and comfort to um people of color in your circle of industry as you possibly can um but also to speak to the bigger issues or, or biggest issues that that bring all of us together which are mortality the value of your life living life to the fullest caring about other people um all of those things having a sense of history like all of those things are baked into twilight zone episodes whether serling wrote them or not you know because there were other great writers on that series like walter johnson and, and charles beaumont and earl hamner um among others, uh, Richard Matheson, of course. Um, and so like, you know, all of that series sort of had that. And, and, you know, when you, I would suggest to anybody that does like the Twilight Zone that's listening, um, go back if you haven't and listen to some of, you can get them on YouTube or whatever, um, of Rod Serling's speeches. He, he gave speeches to colleges a lot in the early seventies where he talked about film, but he also talked about social um issues that were going on at the time and i would you know 
he he really helped me find a voice for a lot of those things and navigate my way into being a more proactive um person that 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 you know comes out that in the right way and and like i said also like the the mortality issues and just like living life fully um and and valuable and 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 valuably um those are all so much in there you know episodes like the hunt um so many more you know like those are those are you know some great things that he put out there and and that i've taken with me you know the, the twilight zone isn't about you know, it, it used science fiction. It, it's also important to, I'll say this real quick so we can get out, but like, you know, Serling wrote a lot of non-science fiction uh, before The Twilight Zone. He wrote, he actually won, I think, four Emmy Awards uh, for Teleplays before The Twilight Zone even aired. Oh, wow. um, and he he won for um, Teleplays like Patterns, um, Requiem for a Heavyweight, um he also wrote something called velvet alley that's really important um and those are dramas you know and they're dramas from the 1950s you can find them on youtube you can find them on like kind of knockoff dvds on amazon and stuff um if you're really into rod serling and you're listening um go and check those out um you know they are from the 50s they are a little stiff compared to today's television um but if you're into film history and even into American history and, and how television helped shape sort of the social conversation as the fifties and sixties progressed, like Rod Serling's early fifties work is really important. Patterns is a story that uh, just to give you a quick example of how non-science fiction this is, it's a story about a guy who gets recruited by like a mortgage company or something and he's recruited in from Ohio. He flies in, comes to New York, relocates. He, 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 he works for this company and he's finds out after a few weeks that he's there to replace this very loyal older employee that had been there for a long time. And that the boss is actually really evil and just wants to fuck this old guy over and get him out so that he can get a new person in and his moral conflict with being put in that situation. That sounds rather dry, but in 1955, that was such an anti-conformist kind of message to like put into like mainstream television. And um, that was his first Emmy and, and it just shows the depth of like what Serling could do, um, you know, beyond uh, science fiction. Not that there's anything wrong with science fiction either. Right. You know, like he, he met, like he managed, like he, he managed to apply his perspective and philosophy to so many different kinds of art that it just shows how much range he had. And like, that makes, you know, like that's even more of an incredible story. So, um, you know, like it, it just adds to the appeal of what he did with the twilight zone. So that's really definitely, that's definitely worth considering. And like, yeah, shout out to Rod Sterling cause twilight zone is fucking amazing. Like, yeah. Uh, well, definitely. Yo, NASA, we went through some crazy technical issues get this done but like bro thank you so much this was this was this was a really this is really enlightening and super tight so like thank you thank you thank you yeah, for taking man. the time man no problem man thank you very much for having me on um i'm really you know it's it's dope to be able to talk about film and culture and music like this like um 
you know, this is the kind of stuff that I do with, with people all the time. So <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks for listening. Shout out to y'all for making it this far. And shout out to all the black people listening too, because y'all really impeccable. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell a friend to come through next time. One.